Okay, we're ready back there? All right, if you would please turn to the Acts of the Apostles. We'll be working through Acts chapter 25, verses 1 through 12 this morning. Let's pray. Father, help me. Help, help me teach. Help my eyes see clearly and my words speak clearly what this passage says and the implications of it for our own lives in our walk with you. Be with us in the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit to the glory and to the praise of your Son who shed his blood for the redemption of all who will trust him. Amen. If you remember, last week I, I ended the sermon with the words of the Apostle Peter. Christian, though you've never seen Jesus like Peter did, though you do not now see him, you love him and you trust in him. You put your faith in what he's accomplished for you and promised for you. We as believers must trust the Lord with our lives and with our deaths, with our livelihoods, with uh, the extent of our impact, small or great or anywhere in between, the extent of our impact on other persons with the gospel of Jesus Christ through our lifetime. We must trust God's sovereign, providential hand. He is looking over every detail of every one of our lives. If God wants you or that person sovereignly in his will, in his sovereign will, if he wants you to get to destination A, you cannot not get there. He will make that happen. We know that now. We don't know his sovereign will before it happens. And so our lives are filled playing down here on the football field of the Christian life in the midst of the crooked and perverse generation on the way to our demise and death and glorious resurrection. And so it is the process of those destinations and how we get there that drives us nuts. We don't know. It's the how. It's the when it's the through what means process, pain, suffering, peace, joy, gladness. Whatever those things are that get us to all of these differing destinations throughout our lifetime. That at times make it very, very difficult to trust God. If the Lord wanted the Apostle Paul to preach to kings and to rulers then he would cause it to happen. 
If the Lord wanted the Apostle Paul in his sovereign will to get to Rome and to preach the gospel, it will happen. And it is, though, the process of how all that is going to happen and is unfolding in Paul's life that he was in the dark about, just like we are, day by day. We're in the dark of how he'll get to Rome until, oh, it's in the past now. Now I see how God sovereignly worked that out. The process of how all of that would come to pass. That's such a battle of faith. For every Christian who's honest with our own hearts. Because what we see in Paul is the same for every believer. For every one of us who's a Christian in this room. We must trust in the Lord. We must fight to see with the eyes of our faith the promises of God, His hand upon our lives, and to not live by mere sight. If we only see from the temporal human perspective as our lives are unfolding, we will easily grow impatient and frustrated and angry and bitter. But if we see God's sovereign Loving, eternal perspective, providential hand in the midst of our circumstances, then we can rest in Him. We can rest in Him, knowing that He will and is working out all things for our good. Because he, by his mercy, called us to Christ. That's why we love him. And for those who love him and are called, he is causing all things to work together for ultimate, eternal, unending perspective. So think about the Apostle Paul as we're continuing our journey through the book of Acts. And all of these frustrating ordeals that he had been going through and is continuing to go through. He's been in prison now, in custody, for two long years without a conviction. He hasn't been convicted in the court of law of anything. You can do that then in Rome. The governor is the judge and the jury and essentially the prosecution and he can detain you as long as he wants. And Felix detained him for these two long years because he was a fellow horrific sinner who desired to line his own pockets with a lot of money to get a bribe from Paul. That miserable man was why Paul, a fellow brother in Jesus, is sitting in jail. And now we saw at the end of last week, Felix is finally being replaced by, by, by Festus. But before he leaves, because, you know, he did not have a good relationship, we know historically, with the Jews, of whom he's over, because he's the governor of Judea. I mean, they really disliked him, and his rule was just, it was horrific. So he's still got a, some life left and political career. He wants to 
gain some political capital. That's what Luke's telling us. And that's why he decided, I'm going to leave Paul <laughs> in jail. Paul, you're in jail because of that one creature who makes that decision. And so he's replaced, that is Felix, by Festus. The first, first uh, century historian Josephus lets us know that, and it's not hard to beat Felix, but you know, Festus was much more of an upright man and ruler and competent than Felix ever was. And now here he is. Here's his new post. Governor of this culture. The Jewish culture. It's Judea. So he gets there and the first thing that he does is within, we'll see, a couple of days, he travels 50 miles once he gets to Caesarea to go to Jerusalem in order to talk with and get to know and get the feel of the leadership of the Jews. And that's where we pick up. Acts 25, verse 1. And now three days after Festus had arrived in the province, he went up to Jerusalem from Caesarea. And the chief priests and the principal men of the Jews, okay, you stop. This is two years later, after Paul was almost beaten to death in the temple, after the plot to assassinate him, which got Paul to Caesarea. He's sitting there for two years. Two years go by. The new governor comes, and what's the thing on the mind of the Jewish leadership? Paul! Paul. They want him dead. And so they, the Jews, laid out their case against Paul. That he, excuse me, against Paul, and they urged him, Festus, asking as a favor to us Jews against Paul that he summon Paul to come to Jerusalem. Now Luke lets us know. He's there. He, he finds out. He, this is why they want to do it. Because they were planning an ambush to kill him on the way. They weren't looking for a fair trial. They just wanted him dead. Festus replied though to the Jewish leadership that Paul was being kept at Caesarea and that he himself intended to go there shortly. So, he said he, let the men of authority among you go down with me, and if there is anything wrong about the man, let them bring charges against him. So Festus is in charge, and he lets them know he's in charge. It's not going to happen that way. Uh, you want to bring charges against him? He's right there where my seat is in the Roman capital of the province. You come down there. And bring charges against him. And so here's Paul again. That happens two years later. He's standing again before his accusers in an official court of law. That's got to cause frustration. Anger. Doubt. What are you doing, God? Impatience. That kind of stuff, I, I, I don't think I'm just speaking for me. I mean, that's big stuff. Little stuff gets me constantly. Just 
for us sinners, that makes it difficult to trust God. But Paul's there, he calmly, again, defends himself against these untruths that are being spouted against him. Pick up verse 6. After he, that is Festus, stayed among them in Jerusalem more than eight, not more than eight or ten days, he went down to Caesarea, and the next day he took his seat on the tribunal and ordered Paul to be brought. When Paul arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him, bringing many and serious charges against him. Capital death penalty offense. Paul is a, an insurrectionist against the Roman Empire. That's a death penalty. You get convicted of that. Charges against him that, and Luke lets us know, they could not prove. They had no the evidence. It's just charges. And so Paul argued in his defense. And here's Luke's summary of the three main charges they brought against him. And Paul just spoke the truth. They have no proof. He made his defense. They quote, neither against the law of the Jews nor against the temple, not against temple law, nor against Caesar, Roman Empire, have I committed any offense. Okay, here's Paul, new governor. Festus, he's more upright. And then, Festus is going to go by the rule of law. He wouldn't give in to say, no, I'm not going to send Paul to Jerusalem. Let's go up here and hear it. But now Festus knows, because his constituency is the Jews. He wants to have a good relationship with them as he keeps them in line according to Roman law. That's what he wants to have happen. So he gets in his mind, maybe I can do it this way. So, but, but he didn't force Paul. He knows Paul's a Roman citizen. Most all the Jews there were not Roman citizens. They didn't have this right. So he asked Paul, but Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, Do you wish to go up to Jerusalem and to there be tried on these charges before me? If Paul says, Yes, Festus is going, Yes, this is awesome. The Jews are going to like me more and all that. Here's Paul two years in. He's in the culture of Judaism. The vast majority of it, unbelieving Jews in, in the Messiah. They want him dead. Yes, the Roman government is over the whole thing, but of course they always want to cater to the Jews the best they can. He's been sitting there for two years because of it. Festus gets here, and now he hears from Festus's mouth, I'm not going to ever get out of here. And that was the straw that broke the camel's back. He's, he's had that card in his back pocket the whole time. As a Roman citizen, you can appeal your case all the way to the Supreme Court. Who is Nero at this point? Caesar in Rome. And so we read here, 
But Paul said, I am standing before Caesar's tribunal. Not a Jewish court in Jerusalem. This is where I ought to be tried. To the Jews I have done no wrong. Now listen to these words. Festus, as you yourself, you know this very well. If then I am a wrongdoer and have con committed anything for which I deserve to die, I do not seek to escape death. But if there is nothing to the charges against me, no one can give me up to them because I'm a Roman citizen. I appeal to Caesar. Then Festus, when he had conferred with his counsel, answered, To Caesar you have appealed. To Caesar you shall go. And now it's out of Festus's hands. Which part of it is probably a relief. And so through Luke writing this for us, we can see all this now in hindsight. So everything we've been seeing for two years and what we see here again with Festus, we know through Luke that God has been at work in all of these details of Paul's life. To be honest with the text of Acts, you have to read it in its larger context. You have to read it for instance, in light of what Luke already told us in Acts chapter 9.15 and in 23.11. In 9.15, we read these words from Luke's pen. But the Lord Jesus said to him many years earlier, to Ananias, go to Paul. No way. No, you go to Paul. Because Jesus said to Ananias, Go, for he, Paul, is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. And here over these last two years, and we'll see it coming next week, all three of those were fulfilled while he's in jail. Yeah, he preached to Gentiles, obviously, earlier. He'll preach to King, the King of Judea, Herod, Herod Agrippa. All three are fulfilled while he's in prison. And in Acts 23, 11, remember two years before this, Jesus appeared to Paul while he's locked up there in Jerusalem. And he said this to him, or Luke tells it this way, The following night the Lord stood by Paul and said, Take courage. For as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify to those facts in Rome, far, far away. That was two years earlier. But that's going to happen because the Lord was at work behind all of these frustrating circumstances. He was at work, not asleep, behind the false charges that were repeated again and again. 
He was behind all of it in order to fulfill his purpose for Paul. One thing that means is that God, through all of that, was Paul's protection. He was Paul's protection against the plots of people and of demons. There is nothing that people or unseen demonic beings can do without God's permission. And God looks out for his children. That's why I began this sermon with, you don't see him, but you love him and you believe, you trust him. And right before that, what did Peter say? During this life, since it's necessary, you will encounter all kinds of trials that often will cause you to cry, to grieve. He calls them grievous trials. To be a Christian is to be in that battle Paul talked about in Ephesians 6. Put on the whole armor of God because you're in a battle. If you follow Christ, you're in a battle to stand against the schemes of the devil. Not to do gunfire, swords against human beings, but a battle against all the attacks of the gospel and the battle against demonic forces that hate the gospel that affect cultures, persons, family members, governments that will have an impact Upon you, Paul, and for 2,000 years, millions of Christians. So here, the opposition that we've been reading about now for weeks, the opposition of the Jews, what it really is here is a picture of the fallen human race arraying itself together as a culture against the holy God who saves sinners by his grace alone through Jesus Christ. Throughout church history, not just Jews, but the rest of us, Gentile, religious, churchly hierarchy, have been used as forces against the gospel. The Jews here, they had the right book, the very word of God written in the Hebrew scriptures. They had the temple. They had the Abrahamic covenant. They had the promises. They had the rituals. They had all of that. And then they had the promise of the Messiah that they said, we're waiting for the Messiah. And when he came, they killed him. 
And now they want his messenger. Paul. Dead. That's the culture. When people or groups of people or societies and cultures at large refuse to submit to God's truth, which is truth, then they will seek to eliminate that truth from their lives because truth brings light. And light shines in the darkness and exposes their evil deeds. And like all of us human beings, almost, i got to say it that way, almost no human being wakes up thinking, I am evil and I love it. They don't. But we're evil. And we deceive ourselves. We're self-righteous. Why do you think anti-abortionists who see and feel the problem and have made it their trade in life to constantly, now in this scientific age where you can use ultrasound in 3D and it actually looks like a real human being, why do they do that? Because of wisdom and of righteousness. Why do pro-abortionists hate when those videos are constantly shown on the internet and social media? Because they shine truth. They shine light. The pro-life movement calls attention to their evil deeds. And instead of coming to the light in repentance, here's how all of us are with our sin nature if it is not in some way overcome. We all with our sin nature then will try to just ignore it or rationalize it in order to go on living in the dark without feeling too horrible. Jesus put it this way in John 3. And this is the judgment that light has come into the world. And people loved the darkness rather than the light. Here it comes. Why? Because their works, the way they're living, their works were evil. They don't want the light. He goes on. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. Paul, oh, was he a dark, evil, wicked, wrath-deserving, Murderer. Who by no power of his own. Jesus one day said Paul you're mine. And he didn't just shine the light on the outside of Paul. But as Paul would later write. 
The God who created the universe and said, let there be light, has shown in my heart. Changed me. To give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And so since then, Paul, over these last few decades, had been following the one true God. He was following justice. True justice does not need an adjective. There is justice because there's a God. And if there is no God, there is no such thing as right or wrong. Paul was following what's right as opposed to what's wrong. That's why his defense in the courtroom here under Roman authority was, I am standing before Caesar's tribunal where I ought to be tried. To the Jews, I have done no wrong. As you yourselves know, or you yourself know very well, if I am a wrongdoer and have committed anything which I deserve to die for, I don't seek to escape death, but if there is nothing to these charges against me, then you can't give them up to me. I appeal to Caesar. Throughout history and today, Christians will face opposition by those who despise a God-centered worldview. Because like all of us who before we came to Christ, if we're in Christ now, we were in the dark, we were of the world, we have now been plucked out of the world. And the world around us, the darker it gets, they don't really care about justice. As I speak right now this morning, we are in the midst of a cultural revolution that is dead set on the destruction of biblical morality, of biblical standards of biblical, traditional, orthodox Christian convictions. Dead set, militant against it. My grandparents would not believe it if they came back for 10 minutes and I told them. They would think it's impossible what is believed and attacked in our culture today. In the universities, K through 12 school systems, the mainstream media, big business, it just more and more will not tolerate Christian, biblical, doctrinal faithfulness. And so we Christians need to be prepared more and more for governments, for rulers, for lawmakers putting up bills and laws being passed where they will joyfully, in this culture, in our culture of America, 
founded on the bill of rights where they will more and more joyfully sacrifice the Christian, traditional, Western worldview. They will joyfully sacrifice this thing that was so important over the last 200 years called the freedom of conscience of its citizens. They will more and more sacrifice the freedom to speak your conscience. They'll sacrifice it happily on the altar of the sexual revolution. As we stand for truth, therefore, if we stand for biblical truth, if we're unwilling to cave into the anti-Christian revolution before us, then all the more we must prayerfully grasp, know that God is at work behind the scenes of all of that. That he is working out his sovereign, baffling for the church in this land as a whole and for our individual lives. The injustices done to Paul or to, to any Christians today, because they are standing for the truth and their conviction, it does not mean that God is not. It doesn't mean God is not protecting his own or that he is not guiding all things to work together for good for them. Like Paul, I mean, I, I think you have to agree with me. Two years in jail. Certainly some of his contemplation was Joseph, wasn't it? I mean, there's Joseph. And maybe he had a little self-righteous problem with his brother, but... I don't know, you don't see anything negative about him. And there he is, and his brothers want to kill him. And one says, that's going to be a bad idea. Let's get him out of the pit and sell him into slavery. And they sold him into slavery, and now he's a slave. Things are going great. And then he is accused of a horrific crime that he did not at all commit. It actually never even happened, and it gets him in prison. And then there, he helps a fellow prisoner. Remember me when you get back to Pharaoh's house because it's going to go well with you. And he forgets. But by God's grace, Joseph was given a long life to see the ramifications of much of his pain and how it unfolded. And the book of Genesis ends, essentially, with Joseph's words to his brothers whom he forgave. Let's think about history, brothers. Quote, As for you... You meant, means your intention, you meant evil against me. But God meant it, meaning the exact things that you did to me, God meant it for good. Oh, to contemplate. Joseph. Daniel, he was a legal criminal. 
But he was not a moral criminal. His crime? To pray to the only true God and refuse to pray to the false God that became a law. His reward? Thrown into the lion's den. William Tyndale in the 1500s in England was executed. His crime? Translating the Bible into English. So normal, everyday people could read the Bible for themselves. Corey Tin Boone and her family hid Jews in the Holocaust so that the Nazis wouldn't find them and carry them off to concentration camps and murder them. And on and on. God's providential hand here protected Paul from death. He's going to make it to Rome. But eight years after this, God will will Paul's death. Then. And he'll be executed in Rome. But not now. Not now because God wills to keep Paul alive and get him to Rome in order to testify there. Everything that we have been reading over these last two months since Paul got to Jerusalem, it's been orchestrated ultimately by God. God was behind Paul's deep desire to get to Jerusalem in order to see if he can be a means of bringing the Jewish and the Gentile churches together. God used the counsel of the leadership of the Jerusalem church to get Paul to go into the temple. It was God who orchestrated that Jews who knew Paul way off from the city of Ephesus in Asia and hated Paul's guts that they would be in Jerusalem then. And then on that particular day, they would be in the temple and they would be at that spot where they would see, that's Paul, so that they would yell out and cause a riot against him that almost got him Killed. It was God who orchestrated Lysias and, and his soldiers to come down and to save Paul's life. It was God who used Paul's nephew to overhear a plot to assassinate his uncle that got Paul safely to Caesarea. It is God who used an immoral, hell-bound, safe, self-seeking governor to desire to line his pockets that kept God, Paul, in jail for two years. And you think about it. You know one thing that did for Paul? It wouldn't happen any other way. Because he had a lot of freedoms, even being in custody. Obviously, he did a lot of teaching. He did a, a lot of fellowshipping and unfolding and preaching to Jews who were believers particularly while he's there. And you know the other thing? A physician named Luke is with him this whole time. Those two years were two years of research in the Holy Land. I, I, I'm, I can't prove it, but I'm pretty convinced of this. Luke Oh boy, did he sit down with Jesus' mom, who's most likely still alive. Oh, he talked to Jesus' brothers. 
He talked to apostles when they would come in and out. He talked to many other disciples who walked and ministered with Jesus. He talked to the early church. People were converted early on in those first decade of Jerusalem. The research that he did for two books that he would write within the next seven years called The Gospel According to Luke and The Acts of the Apostles. A Christian trusting in God's sovereign providence stands back with a sober mind, never taking evil and pain lightly, but ultimately sees all of these things as the hand of God. From a godless worldview, all of this is just a bunch of purposelessness and a mess. So to all of us who have been pulled out of the world, placed into Christ. Here's the truth. Though you have not yet seen Jesus, you will one day. You love him. You trust in him. And you, according to Peter, you are constantly placing your hope in the inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, and kept and reserved in heaven for you. Here it is. I'm, I'm ending now. It is that. That's the essence of Christianity. And that reality of walking in that hope and in that faith in the midst of our culture is what brings the calm and the courage to boldly speak the truth. To speak the truth that there is a judgment coming and there is only one way to an unending, eternal, happy after this life. And it is through Jesus Christ alone. To speak the truth that marriage is defined as between one man and one woman. Biologically. To speak the truth that there are only two sexes, scientifically and biblically, male and female. To speak the truth that heterosexual sexual activity outside of the covenant of marriage is a sin against God. To speak the truth that homosexual Sexual activity is sin always. We know that God, the Holy Trinity, in control of the consequences of such stances that might come, is sovereign. And that's not only this is why the sovereignty of God, which is all over Scripture, it's not just a doctrine. It's because it is so important in a relationship with that God who's saving us. It is so important for comfort. It's so important as the gasoline in the engine of standing for truth. 
That was Paul's view. And we're called to follow him as he follows Christ. And so I end with Paul's words that he spoke two years earlier, right before he got to Jerusalem and all this started unfolding. Now behold, because he's got all these fellow Christians saying, don't go to Jerusalem, Paul. Behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not count my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And so now as we're praising this holy God who saves us who are baptized Christians, we'll be passing out the cup the bread will be going to the table of the Lord and taking the contents of what we have just heard to heart. Oh Lord, grow my faith. Oh Jesus, it is by your blood that I, a sinner, have been washed clean. You're trustworthy. Let's pray. Father, thank you. We need your word so much daily in our lives. We need to meditate upon these glorious truths that on one level to believe, Romans 8, 28, that all of us who are in Christ, who love you, who have been called by you according to your eternal purposes, all things are working together for good, does not seem right on one level. But we know is right as you constantly give us an eternal perspective to the glory of your holy name.